My dear listeners, Before Between the Lines was a podcast. It was on PBS for 26 years. And during that time, we had some very special guests and covered an array of topics that are as relevant today as they ever were. So this week, I want to share with you one of our classic episodes. It features the most honored actor in the history of television, with seven Emmy Awards and over 15 nominations, along with his five Golden Globes and his starring role in Pixar's Up. Enjoy my conversation with the legendary Ed Asner. You've been cracking everyone up since you've got here. I've got to say something. You know, the first guest of Between the Lines in 21 years that I don't have anything in particular to promote. There's a few things I'm going to promote just because I like you. Mm. But there's you didn't come on for anything except to be with me. Well, I, I, <laughs> you see, any port in a storm. <laughs> Where do I dock the ship? <laughs> Uh, I, um, I think that's very kind of you to bring me in without anything to sell. I do have some old rugs I might interest you in. I've got one right here. You certainly do. They they certainly didn't replace it for me, did they? No. (laughs) My God. Uh, But I can read it. Um... uh, you know, I've been watching you and, and uh, the tail end of your last interview, and I saw Deepak Chopra out in the lobby, and now I met that author that you interviewed also today. What's his name? Leonard Mladenov. Yeah. And I thought, you, after those three intensive people, you probably have to be exhausted. So I don't want you to say anything. Just sit there oh, and relax. Thank you. And be uh, be yourself. Oh. Just think salacious thoughts, not of me, but of the you know the, the various feminine or, if that's the way you go, masculine counterparts. Well, you know, we 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 always keep it a secret here because we don't want to alienate half our audience. So. Yeah. But as as some you already have <laughs> just by having you on the show, right? Yeah. It's true in a certain way, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, I, I brought you. I really wanted you here because, as someone who, all of us, as I introduced, we 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 know you from so much of your work. But there was something that really intrigued me as you were coming on, and I decided to look up some things. And You noticed I came on to you. I did notice it, yeah. and, and I just, you know, I just, I said, I just don't want Shrug to let anybody know. I am. I'm letting it go. Okay. But I, I thought of something interesting. I, I looked at your biography, and, and I found out your real name in Hebrew is Yitzhak. Yes. yes. And, I, and I brought that up because there was something I always believed about your work, mm-hmm. and you'll see how this ties in. Yitzhak in Hebrew means he will laugh and he will rejoice. And I always found that in almost almost every role, I maybe maybe the captain in Roots, maybe you didn't see it that much there, but on almost every role, no matter how dramatic it is, no matter what, 
there is a sense of joy and humor that comes out from you. Whether you're playing the most crumudgeon newspaper journalist to whatever it might be from the, from the film up, you've got a sense of laughter, humor, and joy. Well, we seek it. I mean, how delightful to be the, on the receiving end of a good laugh. And I discovered doing the Mary Tyler Moore show, because I avoided comedy before that, because you didn't you didn't get you, you didn't get starred by being in a comedy. So we concentrated on drama. And I realized after the seven years of doing that show that no matter what you did, what tragedy you were performing, find the light moments in there to play up. Find the humor, because every tragedy needs a leavening of humor. And uh, I, uh, I try to find it. You mentioned Mary Tyler Moore. There was uh, one of the people they went to in her passing first was you. And I, I, I couldn't help but think about this one thought that came to mind. And I remember someone telling me, and they said that people that age well and that live a long life must have one thing in common. It was the ability to deal with grief. Really? Yes, because really? those that you love are passing before you. Well, you're talking to a man who, in 2014, my two sisters died. Uh, about uh, two months ago, my brother died. Uh, a oldest brother, previously deceased. Uh, so now I'm all alone, and all I can do is conjure up the images of my siblings as they crop up uh, automatically, loom up in my brain, and and they may give a terse comment here, a terse comment there, but it it'll, it'll, it it leavens whatever situation I'm in. You know, I had this thing. My my mom. I was already a, a man. I wasn't a young boy. She was killed in a car accident. Oh, good. And. I'll, I'll never forget that I already had children and everything. As I said, I was a complete adult. But at most, I would call my mom once a week. We would talk. She would never enter my mind. In her passing, she never leaves my mind. Similar to what you're saying. I bet you didn't speak every day to your brothers. No, or your, am I right? Not at all. Pain in the ass. <laughs> but, but yet, they, they, they come back stronger. Isn't that an amazing yeah, thought? Yeah. It's it's like uh, I'm I'm the um, one of my favorite books, The Last of the Just, and uh, I'm the last of the just where my family's concerned. I uh, revered my parents. I didn't know it at the time, but I did. And uh, now, as big a pain in the ass as they were, my siblings. Uh, they uh they are the uh the the great reminders of my own humanity of my own need of my own love 
I love them like I probably have never loved anyone else. You know, you're, you have a child, a child, he's now a man. In fact, he's, I think, a pretty successful musician who had or has autism. And we know autism is on a spectrum. You have a grandson that has autism. Mm. And I remember you talking about that as being something that also made you a better man, brought out a better human being in you. So again, it sort of is a, a as you said before, a leavening uh, of the situation. I, li- I like to think so. Uh, uh, I'm an impatient son of a bitch. And, and every time I talk to my son, who is 29, I have to keep pulling back and thinking of all the wonderful, wonderful statements I've made about autism and autists and, and, uh, and curb your tongue, curb your tongue, I keep telling myself. Only use it to apply judiciously when I talk to him and get impatient with him. Because generally speaking, I'd be impatient from the word get-go. And uh, that doesn't help. But it does teach that discipline. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. you brought it up before. It leavens your personality out. Mm-hmm. So you are, it forces you to be a better man. Yeah, yeah. I try to be. I try to be. God knows I, I, could, I could go back to go and I'd forsake the $200 just to have the other chance of being a better parent. Join us each week on the Well Beyond Medicine podcast as we explore the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. Listen and subscribe at NemoursWellBeyond.org, where you'll hear pediatric experts, researchers, and policymakers from around the world discussing ways they are revolutionizing children's health. I'm your host, Carol Vassar. Let's go. I don't know a father worth their salt that doesn't have that regret, no matter how great they are. Well, we're not properly trained. We're not properly trained. Oh, that's, it's, it's beautiful. But, you know, your work doesn't even end or begin there. You're still... A man. Oh, you're using a crib sheet. I know. I have to. Oh, How are you? Yeah. What? I have. I have no memory. <laughs> All right. You want me to put it away? I'll put it away. No, uh, you're doing a play to this day, A Man and His Prostate. It's written by Ed Weinberger. I remember him from Mary Tyler Moore days, and this is to me in particular extremely important because we have a family member now dealing with this and I never even contemplated all the issues of it because when you're a man so much of the prostate is related in so many ways to your masculinity you betcha baby yeah and and Uh and you're though doing this though to really shed light on the importance of this I'm here to shed light on the fact that Viagra doesn't do anything for me (laughs) 
well, that's what are you going to do about that, doctor? Oh, uh, well, I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't go <laughs> play around with the prostate. <laughs> Good God. Well, I, I also should, should share some information uh, out of that show, which is quite rewarding in terms of information. Uh, is revealed that every 16 minutes, a man dies of prostate cancer in the United States. And that has to be due, not that the fact that, by the way, I, from what I understand, every man eventually gets some form of prostate yeah. something. If you live yeah. long enough, you're going to experience yeah. a problem with your yeah. prostate. It may not be cancer or anything, yeah. but you're going to experience a problem. So, Well, I can so, say that that's true with me, yes. Okay, so, <laughs> well, but again, though, it's bringing and shedding light to the subject. And the play... In the, in the liner notes, it even said he discovers his inner self as going about it. And I could just see you. I saw the picture of you even with the <laughs> shorts. It really, I, I'll put it up for the viewers. It's, it's an hilarious picture. But you're really having to come to terms in the play yeah. with this and shed this light with, again, that leavening sense mm, of mm -hmm. humor. Well, yeah, it's very interesting. We started off the show about a year ago, and we showed it to the various uh, 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 prostate groups in town, and thinking that they would seize it and promote it and stage it and uh, pub publicize the hell out of it, they uh, they, they backed off. It's it's like. Uh, uh, an unmentionable. They did not... Wait, even from the organizations that... Even from the organizations. And I want to tell you, it is a funny show written from Weinberger's own experience on a cruise ship. It's a funny show. Uh, but uh, at the same time, enormously informative. Well, you know, I said you had nothing to plug, but I was going to plug it anyway. And I am going to plug the show because you're still performing in it. I looked at, if you go to the website, you can see where, what city you're in and all of that. Yeah. So I am putting it up there. It's simply www.amanandhisprostate.com. Yeah. <laughs> Two very close friends. <laughs> okay. Now, here's something I want to discuss with you and, 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 I, I'm going to put my notes down even for Oh, this one. you don't All have right. to. You want me to hold them for you? Nah, they'll be good over there. I remember, for whatever reason, and I, I, I don't have a good memory about specifics, but I have a good memory about concepts or moments. And <clears throat> I remember the first moment I saw the pilot episode for Lou Grant. The scene, I don't know if it's quite the first scene, because I don't remember if you might have left somewhere before, but the first scene that I remember was you walking into the establishment, the newspaper's office, and there was either a security guard or somebody yeah. that gave you a bit of a tough time. Yeah. And I remember seeing in your eyes at that moment, and this, well, let me tell you this, I remember it lasting throughout the entire show, this little thing. And eventually it did come back. But what I was so curious at that moment, and I am now that you're here, I, I is about the craft itself. As 
how does one keep that visible without saying anything? What is going on in an actor's mind that allows that to be seen without... Well, I don't think I planned on having you see that constantly while you're watching me, but I would say that the initial look was meant to project the fact that I'm going to surprise you in the future. Ah, uh, because it stays with you and you, and then it's, it almost becomes like a recall later. So that wasn't even an intent. By the way, you, 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 I never saw you discuss it, the craft so much. Although what I found interesting was you really started out as improv. You, you, were, you were one of the first people that came out of the Chicago improv movement. Yeah, that's true, but I didn't stay with improv because I was legit and I got great reviews. So I didn't, I didn't want to piss away those reviews by doing improv. So I went on to New York with my Chicago reviews and kept trying to get uh, formal shows, be it on TV or be it on a stage. I ended up finally doing three years in Three Penny Opera. What a big difference from improv to theater like that. But Three Penny Opera in its own way tends to foment and fulminate with improv just by its very nature. Well, maybe that's... So the, So in a sense then that, that improv did play a role in the acting later oh, yeah, on. Oh, yeah, well, Paul Sills, my, my Zeus, uh, uh, went on to create uh, um, Compass, and that lasted a few years, and that spawned Mike and Elaine, Barbara Harris, Shelley Berman. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he, uh, that folded for some reason, I don't know why, and then he started uh, Second City. And uh, I worked out with Second City when they came to L.A. And then um, when they did their 25th anniversary show, they invited me to be part of the program. Now, we can't separate you too much from Lou Grant, although you've done so much work. And I want to get to eventually, I want to get to Up, because that's one of my most favorite recent things. But um, journalism was something you literally were thinking about as a young man yeah. doing. And when I was talking with my, my son and my wife over the table yesterday, my son said, you know, Dad, in a certain way, especially now, is not journalism a form of acting. And I was wondering what you thought about that, because well, when he yeah. said it to me, I said, I'll ask Ed what he thinks you about that. You sound like you're echoing uh, Donald Trump when you're saying that. Really? Mm. <laughs> uh oh then I better be careful, I yeah. guess, right? Well, so. managed news, of course. Well, in a sense, yeah. that... that yeah, but uh, we always have suspicioned that the news was managed, and... Uh, I, we keep hoping that when it gets managed, that it'll be on our team and not the opposing team. Um, yeah, but it should be somewhere probably in the middle, if that's possible. It should be. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was a high school editor. Yeah, I was a journalist. I told you I got my start in Anchorage. I had to leave because I couldn't see it staying in the middle. Uh, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I was a high school journalist, and, and we had 
MU, Missouri University, nearby, and we had KU, Kansas, both known for journalism. So one day my, my teacher in high school came along and I revered him. He was a great man. And he said, uh, you thinking of uh, journalism as a career? And I said, yeah. He said, I wouldn't. I said, why not? He said, you can't make a living. As an actor, you could, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went on to become an overnight sensation as an actor. But, I mean, even then, in 1947, and it's gotten so much worse for journalists since then, even then, a journalist could, could, was thought not to be able to make a living. How goddamn terrible. Yeah. How goddamn terrible. Well. So, and they're, they're the bringer of the news. They're the bringer of the events of life. And yet, uh, and yet uh, they are subject, they are subject to more control than an actor is. Uh, an actor can be, have his show canceled by the network head, as I experienced. But up until that point, uh, his freedom of expression, his freedom of thought, is much freer than what a journalist can do, who is hampered by his editor, his publisher, and uh, the subscription numbers. I told you I wanted to bring up Up because I just love that film. It won the Academy Award for the Best Animated Picture. And what I love about it, and, and I thought I'd ask a wise man, I guess now I'm going to have to find one, right? <laughs> they got it. I'll cut away to that one for sure. Uh, what Up is really about is a man on a destination and then has to detour <laughs> that destination. And I don't know what better analogy there is to life than that. Believing you're heading one way and finding out you're going another. Well, what, what did you say earlier about the long-lived ones? The ability to deal with grief. Yeah. Well, he gives us a good example of dealing with that great deprivation of the love of his life. And she is presented as lovely, right? And he, she's taken away and he shuts the world out and this little bastard comes on and sticks his foot in the door. And from there on, we're on a, we're on a hayride. A hayride we are. But you also mentioned something about the voiceover that I liked. There was no typecasting you necessarily. And I looked at the voiceover IMDB. You could play a superhero if you want to. You could play. That's the nice thing, as especially as an actor ages. You don't have to play a certain role when you're doing a voiceover. You can be anything. I don't, I don't have to shave. <laughs> That in itself is a joy, isn't it? <laughs> My feet are getting pretty smelly, too. Oh, gosh. Well, we, mm -hmm. we uh, what, uh, I'm not going to have my intern take care of that, if that's okay. Ah, well. <laughs> what are interns for, after all? <laughs> Ed, uh, I had a friend that once said this. He said, an actor must become director-proof. Oh, yeah. Thoughts on that? 
Well, if you were to ask me who were the best directors you ever had, and, you know, I would, like Eisenhower said about Nixon, if you give me a week to think about it, I'll come up with the answer. Uh, uh, there are very few out there. You, you learn to cope with them. The, and I guess my best answer is the best directors I ever found were those who came fully prepared with interpretations for their characters. And then when they came upon somebody else like me, who had a different idea about a change here, a change there, that uh, they would listen. And if it was intelligent enough, they would test it out. And they would then adapt it into their plot, into their plan, using my interpretation of my character. And it works beautifully. And they are the most intelligent directors. And they're the most successful. They probably were actors themselves, because I find that that directors who were actors are always generally more, more talented than those who came up through the ranks. Well, sir, you've came up through the ranks, and you finally made it on Between the Lines. And on that note, I have to say thank you, sir, so much. You're a delight. You're a delight. You're a delight. And thank you all for joining us. Now, before Ed leaves, I'd like to leave you with these words from Mr. Asner himself. Never stand still. Only stand still enough to learn. And once you stop learning in that stance, move off. Always keep yourself engaged. I'm Barry Kibrick. Between all of life's roles, keep moving. And you, too, will always stay engaged. Ed, a pleasure, sir. Good for the joints.